Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Can You Put Me on Guest List? I always feel like I sing that at the beginning of every episode. Can you put me on Guest List? Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Knight. I hope that you are all well. I am so excited to share this next conversation with you because we have been trying to organize this for such a long time and it's finally here. With me today is Corinne Percy Byslowski and what an absolute joy she is to chat with. You know one of these people that just give you so much energy and bring you so much happiness when you're around them and you're and you speak to them. That is what it's like when you speak with Corinne. She's so, so lovely, incredibly talented. She's like an encyclopedia of music. Like, you know, one of these people that just know so, so much about what they do. She's an absolute pro. Any genre, artist, music trends, you name it. She knows, she knows her stuff, which is probably why she has worked for some of the biggest platforms in electronic music. Corinne started out as a music journalist and has worked for platforms such as Resident Advisor, for Vice, for Mixmag, for CBC Music in Canada, and her latest role at Spotify as the editor of Dance and Electronic. So it was really interesting to get to know a little bit more about Corinne's uh, career so far, how she started out in music journalism, and how her career then led her to work with Spotify what her job consisted of there, and also how her job and tasks at Spotify also have contributed to her own sound as a DJ. Because obviously as an editor at Spotify, the amount of music that she receives on a daily basis to be considered for Spotify playlists. I mean, absolutely a huge amount of music. So Obviously, she's listening to all different types of genres from artists all around the world. So I think it's really, really interesting uh, just to know, you know how how do you get through that much amount of music? I mean, obviously, this is just a, one part of what her job actually consisted of. But I thought that was really, really interesting um, and really exciting as well uh, to be able to discover all of these different sounds and artists, uh, upcoming genres. So It was so, so lovely to chat with her. And we just have a really fun chat about her career so far. Um, And of course, end with a a round of quick fire questions, which you know I love. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did recording it. This is Corinne Percy Byslowski here on Can You Put Me on Guest List. Enjoy. Oh, your dog in the bag is so cute. I know, she's upset because usually we would be out on a stroll right now, but she's... She's being moody about it. She didn't want to go out too early. What's her name? Usually like, oh, it's Piper. Piper. Yeah. (laughs) You'll meet her in Ibiza this summer because she's she's coming with me. You're bringing Piper to Ibiza. Yeah. If mom raves, pup raves too. That's how it works. Wow. (laughs) No way. Oh, that's so cute. Did you have you brought her over before? No, but I mean, we're going to be sticking around for like a month this time. Um, So, and just like gallivanting around Europe in general. And it just, I don't know, I felt bad. I I left her at my parents' place last fall when we were out in Europe. And I just, it it, one month turned into three and I just got, I don't know, a little lonely. I was like, no, I want to bring her this time. It's not that tough. I know. I totally, I'm exactly the same. It's funny that Piper's sulking because my dog's in a mood as well, because it would normally be his walk time as well. And he's <laughs> sat on the bed in front of me like this. 
Yeah. That was exactly her this morning. I was like, because we woke up early. We knew we had this appointment, right? So I was like, okay, we'll wake up early. We'll get everything sorted, get our coffee, get our bagel. And she was like, no, like wouldn't get out of bed. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to force this because I don't particularly want to get out of bed either. So <laughs> that was it. Here we are. Now she's Oh, <laughs> Piper and Disco can meet when you're here. Is that your pup's name, Disco? Yes. I don't think I knew that. I love that though. That's a great name. Oh my yeah. God. They'll be besties. He has an Ibiza name. He has an Ibiza pup. So we had to give him some kind of music name. <laughs> <laughs> Disco's great though. Did you always have him when you were living out there? Or is this recent? I've had Disco for the last two and a half years. Oh my God. Yeah. So you would have had him when we met too. Wow. Yeah. Wow, he changed my life. Aren't dogs the best? There's, I was reading this, um, this, I saw this meme on the internet the other day where it was like the soul dog that changes a woman's life in her mid twenties or whatever. And I was like, that is actually exactly what Piper is. She's been like my emotional support blanket for the last like two and a half years. Is she two and a half as well? Yeah. 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 She's going to be three in September. So that's probably a little over, a little over half. Um, but I digress. (laughs) Oh, I can't wait to meet her and to have you here back in Europe. That's so exciting. Yes. I'm very excited about it. Visa definitely left an impression. And I feel like I'd like more time than, you know, I'm going, I was there for what, like a week? And we we're out like every single day. Like, <laughs> you were out loud. That was your first time as well, wasn't it, here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that was so much fun the day I got to see you here. Yeah, Ushuaia. That was very, very fun. That was That's just a, Ants is just like a day party that happens on the weekends, right? Yeah, it's just on a Saturday. Yeah. Have fun. I love it. Yeah. And then we bumped into each other at ADE in October. Yeah. Solid. I did not expect you there. And then all of a sudden I turned around, I was like, no way. I mean, where else would I be? I feel like we talked about this. We've talked about my whole tech house love affair. Like, that's definitely a soft spot for me. (laughs) That's true. I should have just expected you should have been looking out for you. That was (laughs) so nice. So, How so long did you end up staying at that show? I lost. Oh no! Okay, so that show, oh, I had to be on air on the radio on Balearica Radio that night. I think at like seven pm. Mm-hmm. So we were broadcasting from Adam Tower, which was over on the other side of the river. Yeah. So from that venue, from that warehouse where Solid Grooves was to where we were broadcasting from, I think that was like twenty to thirty minutes away. I pushed it so fine to get to this radio show. I literally ran through the door like, okay, I'm here, give me my headphones. She's <laughs> arrived. <laughs> yeah. But I remember being there being like, I so don't want to leave right now. And everybody, and you know, everybody after a few drinks, everyone was like, just stay. You should have just bought your microphone and do it from here. I'm like, yeah, that's what everybody says in the moment. But it's not that easy. <laughs> and then I was not- like, there is this way where the producer can call me over WhatsApp and through Bluetooth, we can do the radio show. And I was like, should I just call in and be like, we can call from the show, which I probably should have done because that would have been fun. But then it was so loud backstage. It was so much happening. I was like, no, Katie, be professional and get out (laughs) of the club and go to the radio show. (laughs) Get out of the club. Literally, I know that feeling. That was that's what ADE felt like in a nutshell is like I felt like I was constantly just being torn from one event to another and I never wanted to go and the Uber situation in Amsterdam is a oh. hot mess. I should have just gotten a bike. Cycling from rave to rave. You, <laughs> you know what though? No, no, but honestly it's the best way because the Uber situation is really crazy in ADE. 
it's so hard to get from anywhere the surge was brutal too like it was like not unheard of just shelling out like like 40 50 euro on like a 10 15 minute trip I was like sick yeah that's true (laughs) I love it here it's true did you enjoy it though in general AD it was my first time. There's lots of firsts in Europe last year. This, I know, was, this was the theme of 2022. <laughs> she arrived. Um, yeah, no, it was it was amazing. I, I honestly it left such an impression on me. I have this terrible habit where I show up in a new city or a new country that I've never been to, and I'm like, I could move here. And so that was <laughs> that was me. <laughs> that was me after Ibiza. That was me after Berlin. And then obviously it was me after Amsterdam too. And all my friends are like, core, like you just moved to New York like really I'm like yeah no I think Amsterdam's next they're like yep we've heard that one before we've definitely heard that one before yeah (laughs) crazy thing is though is that once I make up my mind on something like that it does tend to happen like I'm in New York right now I'm not from New York I'm from Toronto originally so it's like speaking into existence you know yeah (laughs) so we'll be looking for a place for you in the next couple of months here in Ibiza then (laughs) <laughs> seriously though I have to start looking because I've heard it gets really crazy especially during opening season and IMS and all that I'd it like does. to scope that one out too oh IMS you would love you should come to I'm, IMS yeah I mean members of um of the the UK team out from Spotify I know that they they make like an annual appearance out there and so I that was the first time hearing about the summit like I know no- nothing about it except from mm. what I understand it's a lot more focused on the European market yeah. um but it's great though it's a really great place to like meet people network and it's fun it's also the same time as the Ibiza opening party so there's like always like that's happening yeah the island (laughs) (laughs) wakes back up I'm excited because I mean I got to see the closing season last year so I think it's only fitting that I come back for opening season so oh yeah of course if you've done the closings then you have to you have to come to the opening. They have to flip it back to the front, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy because a lot of people often ask, like, which one would you prefer? It's so different. It's so different mm. in terms of, um, like, the energy on the island. Because at the beginning of the season, it's like these pre-season nerves that we haven't seen a lot of. A lot of people leave after October a lot of people leave the island so you'll like make friends over summer and then you'll never see these people for like the next six seven eight months so the openings are like yes everybody's coming back the clubs are opening and it's like this really like exciting time and then the closings are like wow we've done it we've got through another season alive let's celebrate so it's like totally different um like totally different vibes but they're very very exciting yeah, I heard from a lot of the locals that it was like low key a little bit dated. They're like, oh, I can't wait. I can't believe it's over. It's finally done. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm like that every year. When I get to the end of August, I'm like, this is my last season. I'm not doing this again. I'm done. <laughs> I'm out. I'm off the island. <laughs> <laughs> get me home. Oh, I'm so excited, though. It was such a fun. It was such a fun experience. And I feel like, yeah, more time is just more time. So yes. stoked. Yes. So you just mentioned that you are originally from Toronto. Mm-hmm. where did where did everything start for you where did your love for music come from and what were your first steps into the music industry I mean I wish I had an idea of where it came from because sincerely it's something that's just sort of haunted me for the entirety of my life and I didn't I, when I was younger I didn't think it was something I could turn into a career either I tried piano lessons I hated the structure so I gave those up not quickly but you know, eventually. Um, and then I think when I was when I was 18, I sort of made the decision to move out to Toronto from a smaller suburb just outside of the GTA. And um, 
that by then I had already decided that I wanted to be DJing and I wanted to be producing music. I had downloaded Ableton, started noodling around um, with production. But, you know, when you move to a big city, you, you don't necessarily uh, know anyone or have any sense of like what the community is like and like how to sort of insert yourself into it. So the, the legal drinking age in, in Toronto is also 19, not 18, which I was when I moved there. So not only did I not have like access into the club, I also had no idea how to get myself backstage and like get my insert myself into the rooms where I could actually meet the people who could help me learn the things I needed to know. So I don't know. I mean, I was pretty proud of myself for, for this idea because it felt pretty ingenious at the time. But I got um, a gig like writing show reviews for my school's newspaper. Mm-hmm. And then that just like stuck me backstage and got me the access <laughs> that I needed, <laughs> which is, I mean, this. in hindsight, I mean, yeah, in hindsight, it's, it's pretty brilliant. But at the time I was like, well, this will do. It's not what I want, but it's what I've got. So I look where go. it got you. It worked. I really did. Yeah. I mean, I ended up having like an uncanny knack for it. I think because like I spoke the language, you know, I, you learn the sort of terms of production or whatever. And I was just able to connect with artists on what my editor said was a more sincere level um, than most of the writers on her staff. <laughs> so I, I was able to turn out like really good interviews and very strong profiles and pretty in-depth reviews when I was going to these shows. And so I kind of just stuck with it. You know, I, I was writing for my school's newspaper for several years, purely because of the access it afforded me. Like my editor was fantastic for that. She just sort of knew exactly how to reach to like PR people and, and set right. me up in the club. Oh my God. Okay. Funny story. Just to show like literally how little of an idea I had on what it takes to be a journalist. My editor had connected me with uh, like a PR person who had set me up for one show one mm-hmm. time. I think it was, it was like Shlomo or something. And it, there was this club in Toronto called the Hoxton. So she'd set me up there. Um, I can't remember who the next artist was that I was going to go in, and review. And it was, it, it just happened to be at the same club, but it was, you know how these things work. It's a different PR person for every act. Exactly. Not, not a clue, had no idea. I bypassed my editor, CC'd her because I was like, oh, I'm going to be proactive. Like, I'm going to actually maybe lean into this for a second. Went and emailed this wrong PR person who had nothing to do with this act. I wish I could remember who it was. It was probably Flume or something. Like, it was like a headliner kind of idea. So anyways, went ahead, emailed this PR person. I'm like, hey, my name is blah, blah, blah. Like, I'd like to, you know, be writing for the, about this show, like write a review at this place. Is it possible to get set up for guest list? Like, plus one if you can. And this chick writes back and she's like, hey, I'm so sorry, sweetheart. Like, I... I don't manage this project like <laughs> my editor's on cc for all of it too but just like watching this chaos unfold <laughs> a for effort though i mean you tried i really did yeah so that was that was fun that was humbling <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah i mean i i stuck with i stuck with the journalism for a while because um like I said, it did afford me a lot of really cool experiences and opportunities and with each one like with each piece that i wrote it had a tendency to bloom into something bigger so it started with an album review then it started turning into profiles then it started turning into like you know front cover type ideas with the newspaper or things that would get a bigger splash the the shows that I was able to gain access to also got bigger over time eventually I got picked up um by Vice Media which was I think that was a probably one of the bigger turning points as far as the journalism went I was still DJing and producing music at this time um but I definitely started to feel a bit of a shift in focus Mm-hmm. A lot of that had to do with the pressure that I put on myself just as like, like as an artist. Um, I had like really high expectations for what I was going to do with music. And I think it just sort of like ruined it for me in a lot of ways and forced me to put it down. So I doubled down on, on the journalism um, when I was at Vice Media. And then I ended up writing a piece that 
just got crazy viral circulation. And that got me onto the radar of this woman named Susan Jacobs, who's like a music supervisor. She cra- she does, she specializes in soundtrack craft. And so that was the next pivot. In- what was the, sorry, <laughs> what was the piece on the, that went viral? Um, why, I believe, what was it called? I should know this offhand. Um, it was about female composers in Hollywood and how many of them there are and how little recognition they get or like how little visibility rather they have. It was mm. anchored around the Oscars. So we had a major sort of cultural moment pushing the story as well. And so I think like, like United Nations had circulated as well. Like there were a wow. lot of just major brands that sort of had published it. This was back in the heyday of Twitter. So they had like reposted it from Vice and it just got, got a lot of pickup across social channels. And so, yeah, eventually I, I got connected with Susan Jacobs and she um, invited, this is my last year of uni. She ended up inviting me out for an internship in New York. And so, yeah, that was the first foray into New York. And that's when you moved but to New York. The very first time. Yeah. I was only there. For, I was like back and forth for six months. Um, but Between Toronto um, and New York at that time. Yeah, like I did two, three month stints in total. And um, yeah, it was th- that was like a really cool experience as well, because I think the best thing that um, people can take away from those internships, it was unpaid, um, is digging through someone's like brain, like picking their brain for knowledge. And so what I got to do for Sue was digitize her music library. And this woman's been in the music industry since like, I want to say like the 60s or the 70s. Like she's wow. been around for forever. Yeah. And she's worked you know, with everybody, like she was able to write like a personal letter to Led Zeppelin to get their music cleared for Big Little Lies. Like that's the caliber that we're talking here about that's her experience huge. in the industry. Yeah. And so it was really cool because she just had all these like tracks back there, like like singles and LPs that had just never hit like digital media or never been, you know, um, circulated on like streaming services or anything like that. And so just sitting there helping her sort of organize her library, I feel like that was the best education in music I could have gotten and also just getting a better understanding of like what it means to put a song into a movie like the way that this woman works I remember we were working on this one movie called 18 the party and we were spotting um a segment of the film that I personally was really struggling with it was it was just a difficult scene and I tried a couple of different flavors had some ideas and just couldn't quite land the song that would give the scene like that feeling and so I finally tapped her for help. And I was like, hey, like, if you mind, if you don't mind just taking a look and, and letting me know what you think. She literally, within seconds, was like, this is the song. Like, just pulled it out of the air and was like, yes, Velvet Underground, blah, 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 Pale Blue Eyes, or whatever song it was. I, I know it was a Velvet, maybe it was Candy Says. I can't remember. Anyways, it was wild just watching her be able to pull this out of a hat like that. Wow. Was, the yeah, amount of music valid. that she must have in her head. And to be like, able to- Encyclopedia. Just- yeah absolutely yeah. well that's so so interesting and then so what happened so how long were you working with her for did you say it was it was six months in total um I did two three month stints in New York like I broke them up because it fell over the holidays so then I went home for the holidays and came back but uh-huh. um yeah so I I was there she couldn't extend my visa in the U.S. so I had to come home and so I went back uh, to Toronto and then fell back into the music journalism. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always been this sort of trusty thing that yeah. I fell back on. It's, it's funny because I, I, if you'd asked me during that time when I was writing actively, I would have told you I, I don't like music journalism. I don't want to be doing this. Like, I don't know why I'm still doing it. 
people kept offering me work so I kept taking it you're broke and you're a student like you don't really have any other choice mm. but in hindsight I am grateful that I continued playing in that arena because it did keep me very current Yes. You know, it, it forces you to really study the industry and stay on top of what's next. Mm. Editors are really only interested in, in, you know, what no one else has heard of. Like that's the idea of breaking a story. So getting into that mindset, I think again, in hindsight was a really good sort of just training ground for eventually moving into curation full time, you mm. know, whether that was DJing or my role at Spotify as an editor. What so. do you think is the most challenging part of, of, uh, music journalism especially as a freelance I think balancing uh, reader appetites mm. you know something salacious something that has like a very strong headline with something that's you know enriched in culture and just uh, genuine genuinely like uh, something more informative than it is exciting you know mm. and I think the two aren't mutually exclusive like I think thing, pieces that are really deep and you know are identifying tastemakers before they break that's the stuff that I always love to write about, but it can be tough. You know, like I remember when I interviewed Hans Zimmer, I had wow. worked on that pitch for a while because I didn't think it was going to land. Right. And this went, this was published through Thump as well, which was like a, a dance and electronic vertical within Vice. Yeah. So that's exactly what I mean. You know, like the, the verticals audience was your classic main stage dance enthusiast. Right. And so that is the sort of challenging part is like, how do you make, someone as revered and just incredibly talented to a music fan as Hans Zimmer and position them to yeah. someone who's more just interested in like, you know, the Beatport top 100 and no shade to thump. <laughs> we worked very hard. We worked very hard to sort of turn the brand around my editor and I, when we were working there. So yeah. How long were you but working that, with Vice for? My internship lasted, I think again, six months in total. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I was freelancing for them once Thump got absorbed into um, Noisy and then Vice proper. Um, I kept freelancing for them for a while. Like Vice was kind of, I think, my my home as a freelance journalist. Although I ended up writing for Resident Advisor and Mix Mag eventually too. Oh, really? Um, all just on freelance engagements. Yeah. Mm, okay. And then, so how did that position then take you on to working at Spotify? How did that all uh, plan out? There was, there was a pretty significant gap, right? I, I can't remember off the top of my head what the years were at this point. I think between 2018 and or between 2017 and 2021, no. I'm fucking up my dates. <laughs> <laughs> I got back from I got back from New York in 2017, I think, or 2018. I think do you know yeah. what? Because there was the whole pandemic thing in the middle, it's really confusing sometimes, like what happened and then three years. I sometimes think like, I don't know what I was doing at that time, apart from when sitting I, in my house. <laughs> literally though, when I was in Venice in the fall, right? I was having a conversation over coffee with a friend of mine and he, we just never talked about how old we are. And so I literally with full conviction told him I was 27. I'm not 27. I'm 28 years old. Like I, I literally, like I would have just died on that hill. I'm like, no, I'm 27 years old. He makes fun of me for that to this day. He's like the only person I know who forgets their age is my mother and she's over the age of 65. So I don't blame her. And I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> But anyways, it's a blur. I, it's just a blur. 
Yeah, back to your question. I got back from New York in 2018, and then I started at Spotify at towards the latter end of 2019. So there was a pretty significant gap, and I was quite burnt out on the freelancing. So at the top of 2019, I actually just got a full-time job that had nothing to do with music. I was an audience development um, editor, manager. I essentially was helping a media outlet um, target audiences and develop their digital strategy on social media, which is, it was a I think it actually ended up laddering into my role at Spotify in a pretty, again, unlikely way, because uh -huh. a big part of the role of an editor is to understand how to archetype and segment and identify audiences, right? Yeah. And so having that sort of nine-month crash course to just focus strictly on exactly that, targeting audiences, under profiling users, and just kind of understanding what it means to to deliver content in a way that's accessible yeah. and pal palatable to a very specific person. That was, it was cool. But I mean, I couldn't get out of that job fast enough. Like, <laughs> Isn't it crazy though? Some things you go into it thinking, oh, this is probably not what I want to do. But then when you look at it in the long run, you're like, actually, that's a really good, it's a good thing that I did do that because I've taken all of these learning and can now use it for my next job or, or for other things in the future. Yeah, 100%. And like I mentioned, you know, like I had put all this pressure previously to be successful, you know, whatever that means yeah. as like an artist, and burnt myself out on it, and then landed in this gig as a music journalist that, again, my heart wasn't entirely invested in. And that was also just burning me out. So honestly, by the time that I started at this, at this media outlet, I was I was pretty on burnt out on music as a whole. You know, I was 20, 24 going on 25. I was kind of ready to just not, <laughs> you really? know, I, was like, I, had my, I had my headphones. I had my playlist. So I was like, I'm just, I'm just going to enjoy listening to music for a little while. How about that? Yeah. So it's nice yeah. sometimes to have that break, I think, from, from music in the industry, because then it gives you time to miss it and then realize like what you want to do. Yeah. I mean, I lasted at that job for about four months before the travel bug bit me and then I went to Thailand for six weeks maybe it was five weeks <laughs> you can't ask me about dates I never know <laughs> I literally never know what's going on this is terrible but anyways no I, I went to Thailand and I, I, I don't want to be one of those people who has like a corny like spiritual experience overseas but there's something about traveling oh, yeah. that it just it focuses it focuses your identity do you know what I mean like it distills it you're meeting so many people you're kind of just like you have what limited time to sort of introduce yourself and let everyone know what you're about and connect. And so getting into that mode again, I hadn't traveled for a minute and just meeting so many new people and people asking me like, so what do you do? Like, what do you love? I think that sort of recalibrated mm. what I wanted from life period. And I, I came home with like a really potent, potent sort of realization that yeah okay no we we, we do want to get right back into music it's time yes so I mean coincidentally enough I get back and I'm in the office for I maybe god it must have been like maybe like two weeks max and an opening at Spotify pops up on LinkedIn on their Canadian team of all places like when I got back sorry go on no I was gonna say like it was meant to be literally though but I'll tell you this story because this is actually another good one um the emotional roller coaster of getting hired at Spotify was something that I would go on and talk to my therapist about for months because I get back from Thailand and I'm starting to work on my artist visa for the US because I was like, okay, I love music. I felt so at peace with myself when I was living in New York. 
I don't know what it was about that city, but I got to find my way back. And it's pretty difficult for Canadians to immigrate. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to bite the bullet, shell out the 10K on the legal fees and just get this artist visa and pack it over to New York and we'll figure the rest out because everything has always worked out out there. So I'm like starting to engage counsel, whatever, found an attorney that was going to work with me. And I'm like literally ready to go to the bank and get pretty much my life savings onto a check and shell it out and be like, here we go. Let's get to New York kind of idea. And that's when the listing for this, for this role at Spotify pops up. Wow. And I was like, it just kind of felt like, oh my God, well, this is a sign. We're going to not shell out our savings. Put it back into the bank. Yeah, literally we're going to hold on to this for another rainy day. Today is not it. (laughs) And so anyways, I apply for the job and within 24 hours, I get like a, a standard rejection letter. Like, it's like, thank Rejection you for your interest. In yeah, literally within <laughs> like 24 hours. Yeah. So this is, this is where the emotional roller coaster begins. So yeah, within 24 hours, I get, you know, the standard sort of um, automated response saying thanks, but no thanks. And I was like, well, womp. But I don't know. It just, it, it wasn't enough to, to convince me off of pursuing something in music again, because like, even in that 24 hours, I just like gotten my hopes set so high. Yeah. I'm also the kind of person where it, you know, I don't really take no for an answer. And, and I never just apply to jobs through the standard lane. You know, like, obviously, before I'd submit my application, I already knew who the hiring manager was, I knew who the yeah. head of the team was, I'd like gone out to all my pals and been like, give me all their emails, I need to send them a note. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm like a gremlin when there's something that I want, like, I literally will just go right after it. But it's One like signing line. up do, doing your your school newspaper to get backstage. Same kind of story. That's what I was saying. Exactly. <laughs> like my persistence, it's both a gift and a curse. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, thank God that I had done all that outreach and, you know, asked around for, for the hiring manager's email because I had shot him a note. And a month later, he he hits me back um, saying, hey, like, we'd love to have you out for an interview. Let me... Like, I'm just seeing this. It hit my filters, but I was just going through my inbox and I caught your note. Let's, let's get this mobilized. And I was like, oh my God. Oh, wow. Yeah. So wild times. And then, I mean, the rest moved pretty smoothly. Um, but after during that, that was... month, what were you doing? Like during that month, had you gone back to the bank or what was going on? No, I mean, I just went through like a, an existential crisis. I was like, here we go again. Like I, nothing ever goes my way. I interviewed for a gig uh, with Red Bull in Austria. I was going to move to Salzburg. You know me, you've partied with me. You know that Salzburg <laughs> is just not it. I don't not your place, babe. Like... No. <laughs> thinking why I wanted to move to Austria of all places like whatever I think I just wanted to get out of Toronto like that's yeah, been another thing I need to be it, out. it was just it was just time to go you know so anyways the <laughs> the interview process moved pretty quickly like it was like week after week it all it was all pretty fluid um and I don't know I never really at any point in the process did the thought ever cross my mind that this wasn't going to be my job I was like no they're gonna hire me like this is my job like I've got the job and then I think at the total interview time uh, or the amount of time that I spent interviewing and going through the process was probably close to about eight weeks or so two months. Mm-hmm. So then that stretched us out to September. And then that's when I started, accepted that- the gig like immediately. And that was it. <laughs> and you were based in Toronto. So you didn't have to move into New York at that time. Not just yet. No, because when I started at Spotify, I was actually um, 
just more of a generalist. I didn't have a genre focus just yet. I obviously had genres that I focused on. Every editor does. Mm -hmm. But I was an editor for a market, which means that I was editing playlists for Canada, like as a, okay, you know, yeah, rather than focusing on, you know, dance and electronic, which I ended up moving into like a, a little while later, I think just a year and change later. For people that are listening and probably don't know like what you would ref- what you mean when you refer to editing at Spotify, what what did your role kind of consist of? Yeah, so I mean a lot of listening as expected. <laughs> <laughs> I would say the majority of my week was spent just digging through um, the music that gets pitched to the platform um, and just sort of you know filtering my way through it and finding the stuff that I was going to eventually go and, and place into playlists. And that's the other portion or the other component of editing um, is, yeah, slotting it into the playlists. I, I'm simplifying it because there are, you know, several internal metrics that editors mm. use and there's a whole lot of data and just even research and cultural analysis that goes into deciding what makes it from the submission onto a playlist. Uh-huh. So it is, there's a lot more depth to the role than, you know, just listening to music and putting it somewhere. Yeah. But <laughs> for simplicity's sake. <laughs> Is it? Do you only go through music that's that's submitted, or or can you? Sorry, um, music that has been like sent over to be. What was the word you just used? Not submitted. Pitched. Pitched, pitched. is the word. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is it only music that's been pitched, or could you be like out and listen and hear a hear a track and be like, no, I'm definitely going to use this track. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean that's sort of the thing about being a an editor. I think is that you your ears are always on as corny as that sounds, you know, like, and I think that's why, um, you know, the deeper that I got into my role at Spotify, the more I sort of fell in love with DJing again, because the two really fueled one another, you know, I connected with underground club culture a lot more because I was seeking it out for myself. Mm -hmm. And, and then I was able to sort of, you know, stay on top of things a lot quicker than simply just going through the submissions. The submissions are an important part. I mean, that's that's the foundation. That's yeah. why artists are always encouraged to kind of, you know, publish their stuff through Spotify for artists, et cetera. But yeah, it's I definitely was using more than just the submissions. Yeah. I mean, stuff bubbles up on the internet, things go viral. Like you've got yeah. to be you've got to be as receptive to culture as you are perceptive of it, if mm. that makes sense. So definitely multiple sources multiple <laughs> sources and then from from there how did you end up moving back to New York yeah so uh, I was at Spotify for I think a year or just even under a year it might have been less than a year at this point um when the dance and electronic editor role had freed up and I hadn't been formally asked to step into the role I was just asked to lend a hand um in sort of filling the gaps while they found their backfill but that very quickly sort of reignited my love for dance and electronic music in a way that I mean honestly even I didn't anticipate it kind of spooked me a little bit because my whole beat when I was doing music journalism was writing about techno and underground club culture and sort of Mm -hmm. you know that whole world and like I mentioned earlier I was pretty burnt out on Mm -hmm. every aspect of of the dance industry um and I was I thought I was going to be an indie editor to be honest with you. But that's what I really loved. I missed guitars. Um, wow. But then, <laughs> and then this role opened up. And, and so I was lending support. And I was like, no, this very much was just familiar in all the best ways. Yeah. So, but when you were DJing at the time, 
what kind of music were you playing? Was it electronic music? Was it underground or was it all like, where were you at at that point? So when I started DJing, um, I think the key moment in my life that influenced my set lists was um, experiencing Sonar out in Barcelona. Mm. So I really fell in love with alternative electronic music, like Fortet, Nicholas Jar, anyone in that sort of more experimental and left field sort of space. Um, music concrete and just the idea of ambient soundscapes and sound design in that capacity, I think it connected really well with my background in cinema studies, which is mm. what I studied in uni. So I was always sort of left of center. I was not very good. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I've, I've definitely um, evolved since, if you will. Um, and it, I sound nothing like the way that I did when I was uh, DJing back then when I play out today. But yeah, I don't know how to answer your question. <laughs> No, and uh, no, I was just curious because I was thinking if, you know, you've you've worked with so many different genres and styles of music, like how did that affect the sound that you were playing and how has like that evolved since you started up until now? Because listening to so much music from so many different artists and so many different styles of, of sound, it must be like, it must have influenced your, your, your music and the way that you play heavily. I mean, I think the fact that I was always really interested in the sort of alternative side of electronic in particular, like not even like formal dance music, um, I was always at arm's reach when it came to the commercial main stage. Mm. But, you know, I was because I worked in, in curation, I obviously understood that space really well. So I think what, it, what ended up happening was it enabled me to sort of know when I could push the envelope and take risks yeah. by the time that I started playing more like club driven sets rather than, you know, headphone music, which is what I called <laughs> the stuff that I would I play that. before. <laughs> yeah. Headphone my sets music. were very yeah, my sets were very like airy fairy ethereal. And yeah. Um but yeah, it I think like having the influence of multiple genres and being in a position where I was listening to so many different styles of music, it taught me how to discern what could be interesting and what mm. could challenge a listener in a commercial context in a way that wouldn't be off-putting or alienating. You know what I mean? Yeah, like absolutely. I'm, I'm really into, you know, Layla Benitez right now, Brina Naus, folks who are sort of playing with that like intersection of like indie dance and melodic house. Mm. And it's the texture specifically in the music that they play and the music that they produce that I find super exciting. And that's sort of where I, even just on my own listening and the stuff that I'm making and playing now, where I do see different genres bleeding into what I'm doing, right? Yeah. Because it's not, it's just not your standard like 4 4 club, yeah, like anthem. You know what I mean? Mm, absolutely. So. I think it's kind of a little bit like, um, you know, some resident DJs, for example, like clubs like Amnesia, for example, every mm -hmm. single night they have a different genre of music. One night you've got drum and bass and you've got techno, then you have a tech house night, and you know, there's every single night is a different sound. The resident DJs there, the ones that, or the ones that do the warm-ups, they play all different types of genres every night. So they're listening to so many different musics, so many different types of sounds and artists that then when they, you know, it's easy for them to, to adapt to any crowd because they've had all this background of, you know, playing for so many you know, different types of nights and styles. And I a thousand percent agree. I think that's something that's pretty wild to witness when it comes to a Solomon set in particular is 
you know, I think the idea of an open format DJ is mm. something that gets a bit of a bad name because it immediately brings to mind, at least in North America, I don't know what the perception is in Europe, but in North America, it often brings to mind like the college bar DJ where it's like yeah, top yeah, 40, yeah. hip hop, whatever, yeah. you know what I mean? But I think, I don't know, I think the ability to perform as an open format DJ, you know, understand what context to play techno in or what context to play, 100%. you know, the more organic, you know, melodic house in, et cetera. It's invaluable. Like that is your, the entirety of your success. A hundred percent. Read the room. <laughs> and that's exactly it. It's reading the room, reading the room. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, you stepped into this position, um, in, and so were you going back to New York or were you doing this from Toronto? I had to do it from Toronto for a little while because we, this happened in the middle of the pandemic. So um, while the role was always stationed out of New York, I, um, I had to be based in Toronto because Canada was on lockdown. Mm. <laughs> but in hindsight, I'm glad that it shook out that way because again, I was put in a position where we weren't going out. We weren't really allowed, like bars and, and restaurants and everything were closed and the entirety of my team was somewhere else. So it was just me in my 500 square foot apartment putting my headphones on and listening obsessively in a single, in a single lane wow. for hours on end. Like, I mean, it was certainly isolating, but again, I regret nothing about it. It just really deepened not only my love for the genre, but the knowledge. And so when I got back into producing music, like I genuinely just opened up Ableton out of, you know, a creative impulse, a desire to make something again it's day and night, the difference between the demos that I tried so hard on before versus the stuff that I was like making now just casually, like a throwaway sketch, like not wow. even with any intention of making anything meaningful. Just, oh. I don't know, why not? We haven't done this in a minute. And so that's kind of how it started. No. Um, but yeah, so, with, with and then I ended up moving to- No, 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 sorry, carry on, then. sorry, 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 carry on. I was gonna say, I ended up moving, when I finally moved to New York, um, the visa process took a bajillion years. I really only ended up moving last May. You know, my visa was approved last February. And then I moved in May on May 1st. So I got an incredible summer. I moved at the perfect time. But again, I was, I was out like four nights a week at the Brooklyn Mirage primarily. <laughs> like just back to back, like just literal marathon. Like I would go home, stay out until like what? Five, six in the morning, go home, nap, eat. And then back to the club. So it was the wow. Ibiza marathon all over again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but enriching experience in a very different way. And that's why I say I'm grateful for the period of downtime that I had back in Toronto. Um, yeah. Because I just, I wasn't going out there. And the club culture out there is not even close mm. to the club culture that you see in New York. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. Different, different aspects different of the... Thing. So this might yeah. be a really strange question, but I'm just like picturing you, you know, listening to so much music every single day. Do you just like sit down and listen to music or do you like get up and do things, have your headphones on, have a dance, cook and listen to music or like how, like, I just can't imagine just sat all day listening to so many <laughs> different tracks. Like, how do you do it? Like, what, what do you do? It really is not a particularly flattering scene like sometimes I wish I had a mirror like right next to me because my posture over the years has just gotten so bad like I've become like a literal gremlin that's why I call myself a gremlin all the time because I'm just like sitting there on my computer but 
I, I have that thing where I obsessively listen to a track when I really love it. And so it was always those moments, like when I'd hear a submission that I was like, oh my God, this is like incredible. And I, I'm obviously listening to things ahead of time, like ahead of release day. That's the purpose of, of pitching um, through the tool. And yeah, I would definitely have like a little dance party in my apartment. And he's just like, oh, bop the yeah. same song, like five, <laughs> six times over. I'm one of those. Like if I find a track that I like get obsessed with, like I have to sit there and figure everything out about it. Like I'll just throw my headphones on and just wow. until I hear every detail. Wow. But, Fun. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. What do you think have been your biggest learnings from your time at Spotify? Hmm. I mean, it's going to sound super corny, but I think it's underrated. Um, the value of like collaborating with other people. Mm. I mean, it's pretty common sense. And I think anyone in music will tell you that you get so much further when you work with people and not against them. Yeah. But I think especially being in a more you know, just team oriented environment where it's like, as an artist, you can choose to work by yourself, you know, and you don't really have to engage with anyone. If you don't want to, you'll get a lot further if you do, but you really don't have to. Mm. But when you work in a workplace, you know, you really do have to find ways to bring out the best in each other rather than try and put the best of yourself in front of everyone. Yeah. If that makes sense. Makes sense. And I just sense. think, yeah, I just think that that is something that, um, I think it would have taken me a lot longer to learn that if I had remained freelance for the entirety of my career, mm. you know, I, and especially, you know, pivoting back into, into creating and playing out, it's the community is everything. And I've just seen people not process that. <laughs> yeah. And just <laughs> want to do everything I, solo and by themselves. Hmm. Yeah. It's, you know, there's a, there's a term for it, but it's there is a term for right it, now. like I've known yeah. what you mean. Yeah, yeah, it's not not lone wolf, but it's that sort of idea that you know you are the the brilliance in the room, you know, and yeah. it's and anyone else's input is secondary to yours. But I've actually churned out some of my best projects, um, you know, both on the Spotify side and in life in general by inviting people to sort of help me fill the gaps yeah, because yeah, it's it's about identifying the fact that you you've got them, you know, like yeah. everyone's got gaps. Even if you are great, you've got your lane, like two heads are almost always better than one. hundred not three or four, you know? Yeah, so it's kind of, it's kind of cheesy. <laughs> no, it's not. But... It's so true though. And it is, I think it's something that a lot of people don't take into account and it is something that is very much underrated. And, you know, you just, it's, as you said, two heads or more is so much better than just your ideas. It just gives you such a wider picture of whatever you're working on. Tunnel vision is so easy to sink into. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it's so easy to just lose perspective. And that's also something that I've historically always struggled with as a creative, like whether it was, you know, a session file or an article or honestly, even a playlist sometimes. Like, I just found that the roadblock was that last stretch because mm -hmm. I had gotten so deep into my own perspective that, you know, it just always felt like, what, well, what is the finishing touch? And yeah. 9.5 times out of 10, it was my editor's edits or having someone else take a look at the mix and kind of put their take on it. Or, you know, having another editor come in and add their perspective on what that particular genre or hypothesis means to them. And that perspective is what carried it over to the end. So I don't know, that's definitely something that I've, um, that I'll, I'll carry with me very deeply. <laughs> no, it's definitely a great thing to, to take with you. What's been your favorite project that you've ever worked on since starting out in music? Oh my God, there's so many. I Okay, so 
I think the Hans Zimmer interview was a big one just because that was like to put a, like, like, like a classical composer, like a film composer in front of like a dance listener. Just Huge. something about that felt like a hack. Yeah, yeah something absolutely. About that felt Not like a lot of people can say that. <laughs> Not a lot of people can say they've done that. I mean, he was also just such a, you know, like a role model in so many mm. ways because his, his production style is really cool, actually. That was like one of my favorite anecdotes from, from the interview. The way that he composes his soundtracks and his scores is like, he's really good at reading piano rolls off of YouTube. You know, like, have you ever seen like when a song gets broken down and it's like yeah. literally the get visualized and go up. Yeah. So he's very strong in that, but he's not like, I think he even outright said in our interview that he can't play the piano in the traditional sense. Like he doesn't read sheet music or something to that effect, which I found wow. bewildering. Wow. And so he said that the way he starts his tracks is he'll literally sit down in front of the piano and sit on his hands and just imagine the piano roll as you would see it on YouTube, just kind of going up. And that's how he writes his music, right? Mind blown. Absolutely. And when you think, when you think about it, it kind of makes sense because his music is so tonal and about like sort of emotional impact of a single note, right? Mm. So it does make sense that he's not like creating these, you know, very intricate sort of like compositional structures. It is very just... Yeah, I don't know. That, so that one blew my mind. But then there was also this one playlist that we'd worked on um, at Spotify called Planet Rave. And that one was such a fun exercise because I think the branding on that playlist all around is just so cute. It's a Gen Z focused playlist. So obviously it's extremely internet and very online. Uh -huh. But I think the most exciting thing about working on that project was it was the first time where I kind of caught sight of a new generation of producers and just, you know, young people experimenting with dance as a genre, mm. which up until that point didn't really feel like it was like the hot space for, mm. for Gen Z. Um, and yeah, I don't know, we, we coined this term bedroom rave to, to sort of, you know, point at what this space was, which was reviving, you know, like UK garage and drum and bass at first, but then pivoted into Eurotrance and there's some techno in there. It's really cool. Um, that was like, that was also a collaborative project as well. Like, again, this is why I say like, it's so valuable to work with other people because it's mm. like my take on what that space sounded like was not the UK's take, was not Australia's take. So yeah. that was a, that was a really dope project to work on. Um, we got oh. merch. <laughs> I still have it. I'm not going to go dig into my closet to show you, but it was really cool. Like, it, I think it was, a, it was a really rewarding project to work on because it was more than just, you know, putting together a hypothesis and putting some music yeah. into it. It was, it really felt well-rounded culturally and had a community around it. And so being able to be part of sort of building something like that up, again, really invaluable experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And also to work, as you said, with people like upcoming artists and giving them a platform to be able to have their, their music shown to the rest of the world. That must be like really rewarding for you as well. I mean, yeah, it's, it was such a deep niche, you know, yeah. and it, I think the reason that it caught our eye was because it was so aesthetically oriented from every angle, like the production, artists, everything about it is just, it's, it's dope fundamentally, mm. <laughs> but, um, and a lot, oftentimes like the, the artists that the team, um, would source for, or the tracks that the team would source for that space, you know, it's, it's the, those artists the first time getting playlisted on the platform. So again, that's also really rewarding. I've, I've always been, you know, discovery driven as a curator. Like I'm, I've always been just hinged on 
finding what no one else has heard of. Yeah. It's, it's a game for me. I love it. Um, but that is the flip side of it. Like removing myself from, from the reward <laughs> <laughs> is seeing how, how significantly these two lists, you know, they can change um, people's lives, which is yeah, dope. A hundred percent. Absolutely. What advice would you give anybody that is looking to pursue a career in curation? I mean, keep digging. I think knowing how to discern between genres, again, going back to, you know, where I started um, when, when my career in music started versus the year that I've nurtured over the decade that I've been in, in the industry, I can pick apart, you know, elements of a track. I, I think people call it active listening. Mm-hmm. It's really valuable to get into that habit, you know, and just when you're, when you're digging through music, just having a think on, on where it might fit, whether it's the context or the genre space that it fits under, what elements of different genres is it playing with to classify it under XYZ space. So that was one part of it. And then the other big lesson that I took away from, um, especially my role as an editor, but just over time, I think learning how to associate a community around a certain, whether it's cluster of artists or style of tracks, those things are very real. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, I, what's a good, what's a good way to phrase this? Like, I think uh, anyone in, you know, like the progressive house space can play with elements of commercial tech house but they would never be affiliated with like a john summit or a michael b yeah yeah you know what i mean so it's it's the difference in that that's what i'm what i'm trying to get at so i think that's also pretty valuable like just knowing where different communities intersect and where they don't very much so Yeah. yeah yeah it's been so lovely to talk to you i wish we were actually in person and having a cup of coffee together and we could have oh i know it's been so so nice to end though Will you do mm-hmm. a, a round of quick fire questions with me? They're very quick. Yeah. Very, yeah, they're... sure. Oh my God, sure. Dude, I could talk all day. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I know, me too. I could literally sit and listen to you here. You have had and are having such an interesting and amazing career. And I'm so excited for everything that's going to come for you because you're just so amazing. I'm so, I'm so grateful that I got to meet you. We met on the WhatsApp. I've spoken about this WhatsApp group. It was on the WhatsApp group, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. 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 I like, this was another instance of me blowing up my phone and not realizing the the consequences of my own actions. Um, (laughs) literally sent out. I just wanted girlfriends to hang with period. I was in Ibiza and I was hanging out with my friend Wes and he just is, I might as well be allergic to the sunlight. Like he literally spent the entire day in the room and didn't want to leave. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go find some girlfriends and hang in that case. And so I had access to this group, sent out a signal being like, hey, this is what I do. Anyone wants to hang? I just, again, was not expecting the outpour of, of people who'd be down to hang. I just didn't think I was that and interesting. Anyone wanted to hang with, how would we not want to? You're amazing. <laughs> I was like, yes, I love her already. <laughs> it's so nice that when people like reach out just to be like, hey, I'm in this. Because for a lot of people, like, you know, it's it can be nerve wracking just reaching out to a group which has like, by the way, nearly four hundred people in this WhatsApp group. I know. This just reaching out and be like, "Hey, I'm in this city. Does anyone want to hang?" Like, not a lot of people would do that. So I was like, "Yes, I love that. Of course, I want to <laughs> hang out with you." And look where we are now. <laughs> the irony of the irony of it all is like, I mean, you are so extroverted. Like, it, I wouldn't surprise me seeing a message like that from you at all. But like, I generally, it takes me. It does take me a lot to. Really? to reach out and to yeah I mean we just hit it off from day one 
I told you, you're stuck with me. I but... know, you're stuck with me too. So it's a good thing. <laughs> and but then yeah. you were like, when I saw you ordered a margarita, I was like, she's my girl. <laughs> <laughs> love a spicy marg. Oh, love a spicy yes. marg. Yes. But yeah. Okay, really quick. Uh, mm-hmm. Quick five questions. Okay. You can play back to back with anyone. Who would it be? Layla Benitez. Right now, I'm obsessed with her. Oh, <laughs> me too. Me too. She's amazing. What was the last thing that you Googled? I think the last thing that I Googled was probably where I could get um, XDJs, like an XDJ setup in, in, uh, in Brooklyn. Because the, uh, the irony of living in New York, everyone is a DJ. It's infuriating. Um, <laughs> and so it's impossible to get any kind of equipment. And I've been like trying to get a home setup in my space. I like, I tend to borrow like a set from a, from a pal when I really need it, if I'm like hosting people or whatever. So, cause literally someone's always got it. This yeah. is a fun thing. Someone's always got it, but yes. Um, that was the last thing you Googled. Yeah. Favorite city to party, party in. Ooh. I knew this was going to be a hard one for you as soon as you love going everywhere. I know. Oh my God. It's got to be between Ibiza and Amsterdam because both are so different, but I love, I love a warehouse party. So I love that about Amsterdam, but there's something about just like the sunlight day parties and generally just being on an Island and like listening to dance music. That's, that's the fun part about Ibiza for me. And I've, I've always just, Spain just has always had my heart in a strange way. So that's it. Best hangover cure. Oh my God. I wish I knew because mine kick my ass every time. (laughs) (laughs) Once you know it, let us know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my go-to is usually like a liter of coconut water and sitting on the couch and waiting for it to go away. It's not particularly (laughs) exciting. I don't really leave my house. Maybe spicy penne. I'm disgusting. I've become (laughs) such a creature. (laughs) such a creature she's like, I'm so her. disgusting she says <laughs> just give me like a spicy like penne a la vodka just, yeah mm. <laughs> oh that sounds pretty good right now but favorite late night snack mac and cheese I'm a big pasta girly <laughs> I see that I see that mac and cheese oh my god I love With, like a cheese. shitload of hot sauce too you like you're like me you love everything spicy don't you everything literally everything if I could put hot sauce on it I will it's me too it's borderline gross I have (laughs) in my purse these little mini bottles of Tabasco and also a sachet of chili flakes and I carry them around in my purse I love that just in case because some places you're like can I have hot sauce and then they'll give you something that they think is hot I mean Tabasco isn't actually that hot but it's at least it's something because you can buy like these little mini bottles but having chili flakes in your purse is perfect because you just get them out whenever you need them (laughs) that's amazing (laughs) no but that's such a fun party trick too it's just like you know imagine you're at a place where you can't order like a spicy marg and it's like my, my friends are like you're so weird like you have issues uh. <laughs> I love that though I'm totally gonna steal that one from you <laughs> and finally because this podcast is called can you put me on guest list when people ask you for guest list do you have a guest list rule you know I think this is the irony <laughs> of uh, of the amount of time that I've spent in the industry and the roles that I've held is I have like no pull 
when it comes to guest list. Like ask anyone who knows me, I'm often freaking out about who's going to put me on guest list, let alone who I'm going to put on any kind of a list. So yeah. I don't know you should be head. at the top of the list. <laughs> you should be. I, I mean, you would think, but no, I, I don't know what it is. I, I think maybe it's, maybe it's the Canadian meekness coming through. I'm always just like to ask people for stuff. So it's like, I would never be that Aww. girl to be like, mm, beep, beep, beep. You're but so sweet. I think if, I mean, one rule, I mean, I'm happy to put you on as my plus one. So if that counts, like if I have lists somewhere, I'm always looking for girlfriends or whoever to take out with me. Like, I love doing that. I love being the person pulling someone through the door. Yeah. But it's like, no one asks me because everyone knows I, I don't have very much pull. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's a, probably a good thing? Like, start getting guest lists, but nobody needs to know that. And then nobody will ask, like, no, no you won't have like, friends pestering you. So it's a good thing, to be fair. Yeah, so, to be fair, right. yeah, because like my uh, a lot of my friends who like DJ and like play clubs and stuff, they're like they've told me that it's like oh like people will just turn up and ask and be like yeah plus five plus ten because it's my oh. show and it's like you realize you're taking this entirely from my ticket sales like this isn't free like I'm paying for you and your squad exactly so. I interviewed somebody a couple of days ago for oh, it was the founder of SXM Festival um mm -hmm. and we were saying that you know the cool thing now is to actually like pay to go into a club you know like you if we expect everyone to be on guest list nobody's gonna make any money if we want these parties to stay alive and you know to carry on running we need to all do our part sometimes <laughs> absolutely <laughs> I mean I not the whole guest list shenanigans I know I think like my rule is if the, if the ticket is like like twenty dollars or less $15 or less like you can pay for the door yeah. and if it's a friend like it depends on the on on what the context of the show is for me yeah like I if it's a major if it's a major club or whatever then and like there's a proper promoter going through it then I'll probably still ask and it's fine but like I said if it's like you know just a small space yeah and it's you know they're kind of like starting out it's like yeah I want to see you win yeah exactly Take my $15 exactly. you know <laughs> exactly 100% my love, it's been so wonderful to chat with you. Thank you yes. so much for coming on the podcast. We of finally course. made it happen because we've been talking about this for so long and I'm so happy that the day finally arrived. Oh, me too. I'm stoked to chat IRL. So I'll let you know as soon as I touch down and then we'll hang with Marks. Yeah, <laughs> with Marks, of course. I'll get my, my uh, sachet of spice out. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be great. Thank cool. you so well, much. Have a wonderful dog walk. Yeah, thanks. I will. <laughs> <laughs> Sending Bye. you a big kiss. Bye. Bye.